Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. And so, is it God's will that I prosper? We're in part two this morning. So, I'm going to begin by just teaching you and answering some of these questions of showing you the names of God. I'm going to teach you the names of God this morning because people have this question. Is it God's will that my needs are met? Is it God's will that I'm provided for? Is it God's will that I'm blessed? Is it God's will that I struggle financially and I struggle in poverty for all of my life. Well, we can answer those questions just by simply looking at who God is. Amen. So look at Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. Say, I am. am. Y'all, this is significant because what the Lord is saying is, We're going to define what El Shaddai is and what it means, but what the Lord is saying is it's not just what I do, it's who I am. It's who he is. So if you understand who God is, I am John Wallace. I don't do John Wallace, I am John Wallace. Well, he said, I am El Shaddai. That'll help answer these questions. So it says, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life and I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Man, if you have a highlighter, I want you to highlight that word covenant. The covenant that God made with Abram that day was the covenant of I am El Shaddai. That was the covenant, and you're going to see what that means in just a a moment. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I'll make you the father of of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. I want you to say extremely fruitful. I love how the NLT puts that word in there. It doesn't just say, I'll make you fruitful. He says, I'll make you extremely, say extremely, extremely fruitful. And I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. After you, from generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And he said, I'll give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. I want you to go back up. uh, Let's see here to verse 1. I am El Shaddai. What does that word, what does that name mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. El Shaddai. The definition here in the Hebrew, it means this, almighty God. I am almighty God. The second word is this, all sufficient God. Say sufficient God. I am. So he's telling Abraham, I am the all sufficient God. The third part of the name of El Shaddai is the God of more than enough. Hallelujah. 
Can you imagine that the Lord's giving this revelation for the first time to his children, to the human race? I am the God of more than enough. And that's the covenant that I'm making with you today, Abraham. Abraham, you follow me, and you know what you'll see? You'll see the God of more than enough displayed in your life. Hallelujah. That excites me. Another definition, this is from Finnis Dake of El Shaddai. It means the breasted one, and I'll explain that one in just a moment. The strong nourisher. Say the nourisher. The strength giver. The satisfier. All bountiful. Look at this, the supplier of all the needs of his people. Hallelujah. So Shaddai, that word Shaddai, uh, one of the words for Shaddai means the many-breasted one. That could seem confusing. What do you mean, the Lord, the many-breasted one? That, that seems kind of weird to me. Now I want to explain what that means. The picture here is like a dog. Think about a dog. That There's a mother dog, and I don't need to give the name for a female mother dog. I think y'all know what that is. Ha ha, that was a joke. <laughs> Picture here is like a dog that has eight teats and seven puppies. So you got seven puppies and not enough teats. And it says that the runt doesn't get any milk because it's small and it's left out. So I want you to think about that, that there's not enough to feed all of the puppies. Whatever puppy's the smallest is the one that's going to be malnourished. It's the one that's not going to have enough. So when the Bible gives God the many-breasted one, the picture that it's, that it's painting here is this, that there's always enough for everyone. Hallelujah. I want you to say this. I want you to say, he has enough for me. It's not like God has to pick and choose. Well, I like this person over here, so I'm going to really bless them. And then everybody has to sit back and look at them and say, man, why can't I be blessed like that? You don't have to live in that reality because he has enough for everyone to latch on to his nourishment. Hallelujah. Say everyone. This will help understand, is it God's will that everyone's blessed? Yes, it is, because he's the many-breasted, the, the strength giver, the strong nourisher, the satisfier, the all-bountiful, the supplier of the needs of his people. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I want you to say this. Say, his supply is endless. I hope that your faith will grab a hold of that statement. God's supply is endless. A lot of people go through seasons where they say, well, I believe God in the past for something, and I saw God. I saw God come through, and he delivered it to me. He did it for me. He provided. He met the need, and then we just leave it at that. Y'all, I want to tell you, you don't have to live from one testimony every three years of God's provisions. God will provide for you this month. And then next month when the need arises and now the need's even greater, you don't have to feel sorry like, oh, Lord, I know I believed. So I, I know I came to you and was believing for something last month. I feel bad about coming to you again. No, his supply is endless. Hallelujah. There's always enough to meet the need. Praise you, Jesus. So I want you to say fruitful. So he said, I am El Shaddai. Part of being El Shaddai, he told Abram, I will make you extremely fruitful. How fruitful? Look at Genesis 15. If you just look back one chapter, 5 through 6. The Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you 
will have. Can you picture that? Anybody, I know everybody lives in the woods in East Texas, right? I never seen so many stars until I moved to East Texas. You come out here, I remember walking outside, we live 15 miles down the road, down 2109. You go outside on a clear night, I mean, you can see the Milky Way. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. Can you imagine that the Lord, he's, he's telling Abram, I am El Shaddai. I'm going to bless you. I'm the God of abundant provision. And Abraham's wondering, Lord, what's the, what's the, what do you mean abundant provision? Just how abundantly will you provide? And the Lord says, look at the stars. Can you count the stars? Well, let me tell you, there's billions and billions of stars. You can't count the stars. The Lord says, so it is with the stars. It is with my provision. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Something that you're going to see in just a moment that God is revealing to us that when he gives, he doesn't give small. So believe God for big. So it says, that's how many descendants you will have. And guess what? Abraham was a crazy, he must have been a crazy Pentecostal. You know why? Because it says he believed God. Wow, isn't that kind of a foreign thought in 2022? Being a Christian that actually believes God and what he said in his word. <laughs> the Lord pointed up to the sky and said, look how many stars there are. That's how extremely fruitful I will make you. Abraham didn't say, oh, Lord, I don't know if you can really do that. I mean, let's just be realistic about it. No, he simply believed God in what he said. What happened, it pleased God, and it says, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That in order to come to him, we must believe two things. Number one, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. It pleases God. You know what pleases God? When we believe him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People think that you just have to walk around and, and you're just this broke down, beat down slave and that, that through this life of slavery type living that you please God. No, what really pleases God is when you believe what he said in his word. Lord, you said it and I believe that you're going to do it. That's the end of it. Hallelujah. He said, I am El Shaddai. Say, I am. Again, it wasn't just some promise. People could say, well... That's something that he did for Abraham. No, if it was something that he was just going to do for Abraham, he would have just said, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. That's not what he said. He said, this is who I am. Say, I am. So when he says, I am, what does, again, El Shaddai mean? He basically meant this. I am the strong nourisher. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I am the strength giver. I am the satisfier. I am all bountiful. I am the supplier of the needs of my people. This is where you need to get a hold of this, Malachi 3.6. He said, I am the Lord and I do not change. So if the Lord revealed himself in the book of Genesis as the supplier, the strength giver, the nourisher, the supplier of all of his people, then he still is El Shaddai today. Hallelujah. Again, let's answer the question. Is it God's will that I prosper? Well, how can it be God's will that I'm malnourished when he is the strong nourisher? 
How could it possibly be God's will that I remain malnourished and mal-supplied or ill-supplied in my life when he is the strong nourisher and the supplier? How can it be God's will that I lack when he is the bountiful supplier of his people? Hallelujah. Genesis 22. You know, when you get what I'm saying in you, it will change your faith because you won't be begging God, praying prayers like, Lord, if it be your will to help me, if it be your will that I'm blessed, but if it not be your will, then that's okay too. This will totally just eliminate that thinking because you understand it's always his will because it's who he is. He can't change who he is. Amen. <laughs> Look at Genesis 22. We're going to read 1 through 18. Sometime later, God, this is Abraham again, tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, and he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. It says, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we'll be right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he and himself carried the fire and the, and the knife as the two of them walked on together. I want you to think about this right here, that they're going up to this mountain, and Abraham tells his servant, me and the boy will come back. Think, why would Abraham say that? When God just told him that he was going to have to sacrifice his son on the altar, why would Abraham Tell his servant that me and the boy. He didn't say I'll be back. He said we'll both be back. Look at this in verse 7. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will. Say he will. Yeah. Not I'm praying that God will. Not I hope that God will. Not maybe God will. God will provide a sheep. For the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Hallelujah. Say, God will. So it says, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you will truly fear God. You have not withheld even your own son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And then Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. In English, it means Jehovah Jireh. Can you say Jehovah Jireh? Which means the Lord will. Say he will. Provide. And to this day, it says, 
people still use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Praise you, Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abram from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your own son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Say bless you. Bless you with what? In this covenant that he already made as El Shaddai. I'll bless you. I am Jehovah Jireh. He says, I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Hallelujah. So I want you to think about that. Again, go back up to that verse. In verse 8, where Abraham said, God will provide. Isaac said, where's the sheep? And he said, God will provide. Why did Abraham say that? In Genesis chapter 22. Because in Genesis chapter 16, the Lord already made a covenant with him that I am El Shaddai. So guess what? Abraham got this realization. God swore to me that he would supply my needs. Therefore, if I'm in need of a sacrifice, God will provide. Say he will provide. Abraham understood this covenant with God. And then he gives this, uh, he reveals this other attribute of Jehovah Jireh. Say Jireh. It basically just means this. The Lord will provide. Or the Lord will see to it. Man, I wish people would get that in their faith and get a hold of God will provide. God will see to it. He swore by it. He made a covenant. That's who he is. Provision is guaranteed to me according to the covenant that God made. Hallelujah. So if we put El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh together, we can get these two statements. The Lord says, I am the almighty God who will provide for my people abundantly. Man, y'all need to shout louder than that this morning. I am the almighty God who will provide for my people abundantly. Part of the name of Jehovah, it literally means the self-existing one. You know, I want you to think about the self-existing Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God will see to it. So he's the one that basically, here's another understanding of this, that God is saying, I will be your source. I don't need anybody's help to provide for you. It's great when men participate. It's great when men give. It's great when men sow. But your provision comes from me. You say, John, is that out of context? It wasn't out of context for Elijah. Was it when Elijah was at the brook Kareth and there was no one there to feed him? What happened? The Lord caused the ravens to fly it in and feed him. Why? Because he was in covenant with Jehovah Jireh, who said, I am the self-sufficient one, and from my self-sufficiency, I will supply for you, and I will see to it. Hallelujah. And also, you could put those two things, Jehovah Jireh and El Shaddai together, and it means, I am the Lord your God, and I will see to your every need. I want you to say this this morning. Say, the Lord will see to it. Man, I pray that you get a hold of that. The Lord will see to it. I want you to think about your life. 
I want you to think about your needs. I want you to speak to every stress, every doubt, every worry in your life. And I want you to speak in faith and say, the Lord will see to it. Hallelujah. Let's look at the ministry of Jesus. Okay, well, that was in the old covenant. Did Jesus display these attributes? First, we have to begin in John chapter 2. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Turn your Bibles to John 2. Let's read verses 1 through 10. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan, Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. It says each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant followed the instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time, say the first time, Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Before I give you some points here, I want you to understand these two principles. First principle is this in the Bible. Jesus shows us the exact character and will of God. That's Hebrews 1.3. It says, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. I really want you to just see that first part. It says he expresses the very character of God. So basically what that means is if you want to know what God is like, just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what Jesus did, how he did it, and that is the will of God in flesh form. That's why, if you were here for our last series, is it God's will to heal? Well, in Matthew 8, 17, it says they brought all of their sick, whether they were paralyzed, whether they were epileptic, whether they were demon-possessed, and he healed them all. Say all. And this fulfilled the scriptures of the prophet Isaiah that says he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. So when Jesus came on the scene, and we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he healed every single time somebody came to him, what does that show us? It shows us the character of God. It shows us the will of God. Amen. Which is what? Healing. So we have to understand that Jesus shows us the exact character and will of God. If you want to know what's the will of God for me, look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now look at the second principle here. This is called the law of first mention. I'm going to read you this definition. The law of first mention 
is this. It's the law of first mention says to understand a particular word or doctrine. So when you're studying the Bible and you want to understand, for example, we want to understand Jehovah Jireh. We want to understand El Shaddai. Those are two names that I just gave you. Do you know what we just did in the Bible? I went to the first reference of those, name, those names used in the Bible. That passage that we read about God saying, I am El Shaddai to Abraham, that was the first time it ever appeared in the Bible. When we read about I, where Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, that was the first time the name ever appeared in the Bible. Why did we do that? Because it's the law of first mention. When you want to understand a word or a doctrine, we must find the first place in the scripture that the word or doctrine is revealed and then study that passage. I want you to catch this. The reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation. It's the simplest and clearest presentation. Doctrines are more are then more fully developed on that foundation. So basically, when you're studying something in the Bible, go to, to the first mention of it, and when you read about the first mention, God is, is laying a foundation that's clear, that's precise, that's simple, and then you build your theology on top of that foundation. Okay, why is that important? The Bible says this was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. This was the first miracle Jesus ever did. So according to how we study the scripture, that means that God was trying to lay foundational truths for us to build off of. Amen. God was trying to show us something. Why was this the first thing that Jesus ever did in his ministry? Write this down for point number one. What was God trying to show us? He was trying to show us this, that God doesn't just meet our needs he gives us more than enough. Hallelujah. God doesn't just meet our needs. He gives us more than enough. Say more than enough. You know, when you think about this, they ran out of wine. They had already been drinking this wine. They ran completely out. And so now Jesus is about to do a miracle. And he says, go. It, it says this right here in verse... Six, standing nearby were six stones of water that used for Jer uh, Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. One giant jar held 20 to 30 gallons. He turned six of those things into wine. Guys, I don't know about you. That's absolutely ridiculous. Amen. 20 gallons times six jars, that's at minimal 120 gallons of wine. At maximum, 20 to 30 gallons. Say that those things held 30 gallons times six jars. That's 180 gallons per, of wine for this wedding. Why would he do this? This is an absurd amount. What was the purpose in Jesus doing this? Because this is the revelation, the first revelation that Jesus wanted to give the world, that I am El Shaddai and I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God of abundant provision. I am the God who gives more than enough. Hallelujah. Look at the first time he called the disciples. This is Luke chapter 5. The first time, say the first. So Jesus' first miracle was a miracle of abundant provision. Look at the first revelation that Peter had of Jesus. Luke 5, 2 through 11. 
It says, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds were pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds. When he had finished speaking to Simon, he said, no, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Well, think about this. They haven't caught anything. They dropped their nets. God doesn't just give them a couple fish. It's so full that the net begins to tear, the Bible says. A shout for help brought their partners in another boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. That's the first revelation that Jesus gave to the disciples. That's their first encounter with Jesus. Why? Because he's trying to lay a foundation for them to build off of for the rest of their life. He's trying to lay a foundation for them to go into Acts chapter 2 and build the early church off of which is I am El Shaddai. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God of abundant provision. Hallelujah. Man, why would he do this? Because he's the God of abundant provision. Look at when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14, 20 through 21. 5,000 men came to him. The Bible says plus women and children. Most theologians will say that was probably anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people. He, he got a couple of loaves of bread and a couple fish. He fed all of them. But I want you to notice this detail. They all ate as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And afterwards... The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. What is the point? They have been hungry. You know, the disciples are like, send these suckers away. Let them go buy their own food. Jesus said, no, I'm going to feed them. You're going to feed them, in fact. Why didn't Jesus just simply meet the need? They had been following him in the desert for days. Right? Why didn't God just look and say, well, you know, scientifically, they need about this much water and they need about three bites of fish. And if they get three bites of fish and about this much water in their body, that should be able to get them home on their journey back through the wilderness where they came out here to follow me. That's not what he did. It says they ate as much as they wanted. Say as much as they wanted. They ate a fish and bread buffet till they were full. And then on top of it, Jesus said, look, I'm not only going to make sure you're full. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Why? Why was Jesus having them? Because I'm telling you, those disciples carrying those baskets got marked with something that day. Faith for provision came into their life that day. And they saw the covenant that God made is still true for them, that God is the God of abundant supply and abundant provision. He does it again when he feeds the 4,000. Matthew 15, 34 through 38. This is a different account. They all ate as much as they wanted again. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. So 12 the first time, seven the second time, and there was about 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Why did Jesus do this? Because he is the God of abundant provision. Say abundant, abundant. provision. 
So that was his first revelation to the disciples. Look at his first revelation, his first appearing to them after his resurrection. This is in John 21, 3 through 6. You have to understand at this point, they had lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, done ministry with Jesus for three years. And they abandoned him. When he was brought in before the high council, they, every one of them, abandoned Jesus. So that, you know, Judas killed himself. The other disciples fled and, and, and left. And so they're feeling ashamed. And so look at this. They're out there. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, right? He had been in the ministry for three years. Now Jesus is dead. So what does Simon say? You know what? I'm going back to do what I did before. I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. Again, they caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your nets on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, but they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This, this is like just marking them again and again and again and again and again. Hallelujah. They could have said, well, Jesus, I messed up. Well, Jesus, I abandoned you. What did Jesus say? I love you, Peter. I forgive you. Feed my sheep. I'll forgive you, and I'll still be your abundant supply. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't count yourself this morning. You say, well, I've sinned. Well, I, one time I was on fire for God, and I, and I served the Lord. And, and at that point in my life, I felt like I had deserved it. I deserved God's blessing on my life. No, let me tell you, you didn't deserve it. Because it's not by our works, it's by faith. And so you say, well, now I've, I've made some mistakes. Now I'm not in the same place. And now you almost feel guilty. Like, I don't feel like I have a right to believe God anymore. I don't have, feel like I have a right to expect these things from the Lord anymore. Well, Jesus just displayed in us. Even after he was abandoned, even after they betrayed him, he was still their abundant supply. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Let's go back. I'm about to wrap it up this morning for y'all. Uh, look back at Luke chapter 5. So again, Luke chapter 5 was the, the call of the disciples. The first time they ever encountered Jesus, he filled two boatloads so full of fish that they began to sink. So I'm going to ask you this question. Why did Jesus call Peter by filling two boats full of fish? I'm going to tell you the answer here. It's because Peter had to understand from the beginning that God was going to take care of his needs abundantly. I want you to write this down this morning. The Lord meeting your needs is basic Christian doctrine. The Lord meeting your needs is something that you need to just understand today. It's basic Christian doctrine. You need to understand from the beginning coming into this. Lord is going to meet all of my needs abundantly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to think about this. I know I'm, I'm harping on this point. But in Luke 10, 2 through 4, Jesus, the first time he sent the disciples out to minister, these were the instructions he gave to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. 
So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send workers into the field. Now go and remember I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Look what he told his disciples. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Why would Jesus send them out and tell them, don't take money with you. Don't take clothes with you. Don't take anything with you. Why did he do that? Because he had to get something on the inside of them. Let me ask you this question. Did the disciples lack anything when they went out? No, they didn't. Because if you read down to verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him. Say joyfully. Why were they joyful? For several reasons. Number one, because they saw miracles. But number two, it's because they went out with no food, no clothes, no money, not even a traveler's bag, and they went out and trusted God. And you know what they saw? They saw El Shaddai meet their every single need. They didn't come back beat down and broke down saying, Lord, we're starving. We've been fasting for the last two weeks and we can barely pick one leg up and to get ourselves here. No, they came back full of joy because God did exactly what he promised he would do. Just like the disciples had to understand from the beginning that the Lord would abundantly supply them, we must understand from the beginning that he will abundantly supply us. Hallelujah. I want to go back to this law of first mention. I'm going to give you two more points this morning and we're done. I want you to write this down. So point number one was God doesn't just meet our needs. He gives us more than enough. Y'all, I'm, I'm about to preach something next now that's, that'll run a religious devil out of the room. They hate what I'm about to say, but it's absolutely true. Number two, God doesn't give his children scraps. He gives us the best. I want you to say the best. God doesn't give his children scraps. He gives us the best. Go back to John chapter 2. Notice something in this law first mentioned, the first miracle Jesus ever did. First, he multiplied and he made 120 to 180 gallons of wine. And then the host drinks this abundant supply. But was it an abundant supply of, of dookie? Was it an abundant supply of the worst, of the, of the bottom of the barrel? No. Look at verse 10. It says, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best, say the best, until now. Jesus didn't only give a miracle of abundance. He gave a miracle of the best. Say the best. So God doesn't give his children scraps. He gives us the best. I want you to get this in you this morning. What God will give you is far more valuable than anything you currently have and anything you can get yourself. Where do I get that from? Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46. What God will give you, what God will give you is far more valuable than anything you currently have or anything you can get yourself. Look what Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. You know, I want you to understand the kingdom. When he said the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about heaven one day. Because the Bible says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom is in the spirit. Say it's in the spirit. In the spirit. What happened in Acts chapter 2? 
Well, Jesus' prayer was fulfilled. Where Jesus prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. What happened in Acts chapter 2? When the Holy Ghost was poured out, the kingdom came and everybody was brought into it. So we are now citizens of heaven. Bible says don't live for this world. Live as a citizen of heaven. What does that mean? I live on this earth, but I live as a citizen of the kingdom. I may live in this world, but I operate based off of the principles of the kingdom. I may live in this world, but my provision comes from the self-sufficient almighty God who's my abundant supply. (laughs) You ever notice how Jesus Christ was fully man? He came as a man. It says that he traded his divine rights and he took the form of a servant. He became a man full of the spirit of God. He was God, but he laid aside all of his divine privileges. So the Bible thinks that Jesus did all this stuff because he's Jesus. No, he did all of it modeling what a spirit-filled life should look like for you and for me. If it was only Jesus that could do that, then why did he say, you'll do what I did and even greater? Even greater works will follow you. Why would he say that? Because we're brought into his reality. Hallelujah. You ever read about Jesus? He needed to pay his taxes. What did he do? He went fishing and caught a fish and it had enough money in its mouth to pay Peter's taxes and his taxes. That's kingdom right there. Hallelujah. That's the Lord's my supplier right there. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, and then he bought it. I'm going to tell you this. You would only sell what you had if the treasure was more valuable than what you owned. Think about this just practically. You're walking through a field. Okay, you hit your foot on something, you stop, you look. There's this chest sticking up out of the ground. You're like, what in the world? You bend down, you open the chest, and I mean, there's just stacks of money in this chest. You count it up, you're like, there's like $6 million inside of this chest. You walk out of that field, and you see a big old for sale sign, cash only. You see a for sale sign, it's like $150,000 to buy this land. Let me tell you. Would it be a hard decision? And you think, if I buy the land, I get the chest that's inside the land. I get the buried treasure, right? Would it be a hard decision to go home and sell your, put your house up for sale, take that money and go build to get the treasure? Would that be a dumb decision? Absolutely not. Say no. Unless you got a house that's worth more than $6 million. But hypothetically here, it wouldn't be. Why? Because what you were getting was more valuable than what you had. Hallelujah. And so I want you to understand this. What God will give you is far more valuable than anything you currently have or anything you can get yourself. I want to speak against the lie that, you know, people will say things like this, that when you live for Jesus, you'll be happier, but you'll have less. That's not true. Say that's not true. This is the part that's really going to offend the religious devil. I believe that when you live for Jesus and you live according to the word of God, you'll live in a nicer house than you would have ever lived in before. When you live for Jesus, you're not going to live in a, in, a, in a lesser house. You're going to live in a nicer house. When you live for the kingdom, you're not going to drive a lesser car. You're going to drive a nicer car. 
When you live for Jesus, you're going to have nicer clothes. Hallelujah. When you live for Jesus, you're going to eat the best food and not the scraps. Why? Because he gives us the best. I want you to say the best. Y'all may see this suit. And I, I didn't even buy this suit. Really, somebody came up to me and handed me money and said, the Lord told me to give this to you for you to go buy a suit with it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I try to tell our kids is, you know, when you read the book of Proverbs, and it says, wisdom, if you find wisdom, it's more valuable than silver and gold. Wisdom offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left hand. All of her ways are satisfying. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that God made Christ to become wisdom itself. So the Bible says that when you gain Christ, what do you gain? Long life. Say long life. Say riches and honor. Say, man, I don't like that. That sounds like a prosperity gospel. It's who El Shaddai in Jehovah Jireh is. It's not even up for debate. He said, I am. I am the abundant supplier. Hallelujah. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and life abundantly. Another translation says, a rich and satisfying life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, he became poor so that I might become rich. He took stripes so that I might become healed. Hallelujah. He was pierced so that I might be saved and my transgressions forgiven. The Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. He will lead me to green pastures. He'll lead me beside still waters. He'll lead you to the place where your cup overflows with blessings, the Bible says. This isn't some one isolated thing. This is who God is in the Bible. And stop letting a religious devil lie to you and keep you from what the Lord has promised you. Praise you, Jesus. Matthew 7, 11, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm going to tell you all, my wife is like the birthday party palooza queen. I think even though she wasn't born of my mother, she must have got that from my mother because my mother's the same way. But when our girls roll around, our, their birthdays, I mean, she wants to go all out. She's like, I want the $75 custom cookies. I want the decorations from Amazon. You know, you can't just go to Walmart and get a little party hat and boop, a little balloon. Like, it's got to be, Emberly wants a, a unicorn birthday party, unicorn. That's what she calls a unicorn. She goes all out. We were talking yesterday to Tristan and Becca and Hannah and James, and, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we got some other kids coming up. Their first birthday's coming up. And they're like, we got to do this big. It's their first birthday. My wife was like, yeah, it's their first birthday. They're only ever going to turn one once. And I was like, yeah, what about Emberly's second birthday? She, I guess she only turned two once. And then I guess she only turned three once. And I guess this year she's only going to turn four once. Here's my whole point. When you love your kids, you want to do stuff like that for them. It brings you such joy to bless your children. Any good father or a good mother in this room today would say, it brings my heart so much joy to bless my children. Now understand, if you sinful people who don't, you're not at, we're not at the same standard as God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much 
more. The Lord's saying, if you want to do that for your children, imagine how much more I want to do that for my children. Hallelujah. Say, God wants to bless me because he loves me. And say, God wants to bless me so I can be a blessing to others. You need to get those in, in, in the proper order. Because everybody, well, I'm just, the Lord blesses me to give. The Lord blesses me to be a blessing. That's true. But number one, he blesses you because you're his child and he loves you. And number two, he blesses you to be a blessing. Hallelujah. Now, number three, we're going to end with this this morning. Number three, put your trust in the Lord and he will not let you fail. You know, you read back in John chapter 2. They ran out of wine. Well, you have to understand, in this culture, it would have been a great dishonor for the groom to not have a supply for his guests. If his guests came to that banquet and they ran out mid-wedding, mid-wedding feast, he would have been greatly dishonored. He would have been greatly kind of rejected. It was very frowned upon. He would have been disgraced. That's the proper word. He would have been disgraced. So when Jesus performed this miracle, what did he do? He brought honor to this man by performing this miracle. I'm telling you right now, if you'll humble yourself before the Lord, the Lord will exalt you before man. That's what he said. You don't have to worry about, Lord, if I step out, what if I crash? What if I crumble? What if I lose everything that I have? What if I get so far in over my head? No, you need to understand your abundant supplier will not let you fail. Hallelujah. Say, he won't let me fail. Say, the Lord will not let me be dishonored before man. Look at Psalms 25.3. No one who trusts in the Lord will ever be disgraced. Ever. No one. Say no one. Y'all, stop thinking you're the exception. Well, I know the Bible says that God wants to bless, but I don't know about me. You know, I'm the, I'm the worst sinner from hell. Stop thinking you're the exception. Just receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ. Come underneath his blood, and you'll come into covenant with God. And all of this is entitled to you. Look at Deuteronomy 28, 8 through 13. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything that you do. Praise you, Jesus. He'll fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. If you'll obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore that he would do. All the nations of the world will see that you're a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. What does that mean? No one who ever trusts in the Lord will be disgraced. The Lord will give you prosperity. Say prosperity. Well, I don't like that prosperity preaching. Well, I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible. Amen. I didn't just insert that word there. That word was put there. That word in the Hebrew translates to the English word prosperity. The Lord will give you prosperity. Really, if you look at prosperity, to simplify it, it means abundant supply, abundant provision. Having prosperity simply means having more than what you need. In the land he swore your ancestors, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work that you do. Say all the work. You will lend to many nations, but you'll never need to borrow from them. 
Praise you, Jesus, that we are the lenders and not the borrowers. If you listen to the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will always, say always, you will always, always, always be on top and never at the bottom. That's a reality when you're in covenant with the Most High God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Well, anybody received from the the word of the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Let me pray over you, and then what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the mothers to stand after I pray over everyone. We're going to pray a special blessing over them, and we have flowers for all of you. As you're leaving, they'll be in the back, and we'll hand them out. Hallelujah. But, Lord, bless these people in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that they came into this room, and they weren't offended. They didn't leave. They sat through everything that I had to say and what your word says, and you said, blessed are those that are not offended because of me. And I believe that word, Lord, that you're going to bless them in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for miracles of provision coming in this week. Say this week. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for doors opening up. I thank you for promotions. I thank you for opportunity. I thank you, Lord, that you will reveal yourself to them as El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh, that you will not just be the God that saves their soul for heaven one day, but you will be their abundant supplier for life on this earth. I praise you, Lord, for that. I thank you for faith being activated in this room to begin to believe you like Abraham did, and you shall bring to pass what you said in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody that believed it and received it said... Amen. Hallelujah. Mothers, if you will, stand up. If you're a mother in the room, we're going to play. A, yeah, y'all give them a round of applause. Man, that was so pathetic. Come on, y'all. Honor the mothers in this place. If it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, if you will, I want you to stretch your hands towards a mother standing nearby you, and we're going to pray a blessing over them. If you're by somebody, stretch your hands and just put your hand on them if you're next to them, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for these mothers. Bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for blessing them in their homes, blessing them with their children and with their grandchildren. For those that still have babies in the homes, Lord, I thank you that your hand is upon their life to guide their children, to raise up their children to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Lord, I thank you that to all the mothers that say, you don't know how hard that it is, that it just takes so much, that I feel like I'm being stretched in every direction. Lord, I thank you that this morning, grace, supernatural grace comes upon them to do what you've called them to do. Lord, what was hard will become easy, and they'll run with your strength. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them now in the mighty name of Jesus. We believe it, we receive it. And everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. One more time, give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.